Welcome to the Catholic Experience by me, yours truly, the Catholic Adventurer. Thank you very much for joining me. Today we're doing a special live stream of the podcast talking about gender and the power of personhood. And I'm joined today by His Excellency, His Eminence, the Grand Exalted Mystic Ruler of All Moral Theology, direct from the Diocese of Rockville Center, Father Peter DeGangic. Hello, Father. How are you? I'm doing all right. Boy, you're not feeling too chatty today. You just did a quick how are you, huh? Well, because, you know, you were doing such a great job of elevating me to the levels of the church that I will never, I'm ever you, get to. Even make-believe levels. Grand, exalted, mystic ruler? Who thinks of something like well, that? Well, that, that would put me in the Knights of Columbus or something. Yeah, it sounds like it. You know where I got that from was uh, the— Yes, uh, the Honeymooners. Uh, yes, the honeymoon. <laughs> we're, we're both getting old, aren't we? Why can't I be the— You know how many people don't get Honeymooners references? I can't believe it. And yet they're some of the easiest ones. You know, you got to, I guess, be at a certain age range to even think about that's it. That's what now. it is. Yeah, that's what it is. So it's, it's crazy. Today we're talking about gender, and I'm going to do a quick little intro before we get on with it with Father DeGangic. So rejecting this notion that we're not allowed to talk about gender because it's too sensitive or because there are people who don't agree with what we have to say about gender. I have to say this. No one corners the market on gender except for God who invented it. And the church teaches what God teaches. And the church has spent thousands of years thinking about these things. So if, if there has to be one agent with, with the authority and, I guess, uh, in intellect to speak of these things, it's going to be the church. So we're going to reflect what the church teaches starting from the foundation of Scripture, which, if you'll just give me a minute, I will edit out this pause in the on-demand version. <laughs> I just wanted to get the Scripture in front of me. It's brief. We're going to start from the foundation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Now, God spent several days creating everything, and then he saved the best for last when he created man. Actually, that's my words. That's not Scripture. If you don't read the Bible, you might not realize that. <laughs> and verse 27 says this, well, let me start with 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, uh, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame animals, all the wild animals, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. God created mankind in his image. In his own image, in the, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, what do we get from this? Gender comes from God. He invented it. It is what he made it to be, and it is nothing more or less than that. We also he see here that God created two distinct genders. He did not say man and woman, he created it. Man and woman and some other things he created. He said, man, the Bible says man and woman, he created them. So we see the idea of fluidity in gender doesn't jive with Scripture. That's number one. That's the first thing we take from this. The other thing that I want you to take from this, and, and let me also set it up this way. This is not an anti-gender theory show. That's for you to decide. This is a pro-gender episode. We're talking about what gender is. We're talking about what gender is. There, there will be some things we will admonish, but that we're really talking about what gender is. 
So the first thing that gender is, is it's created by God, and there are two of them. He didn't say man and woman, he created them. I'm sorry, he didn't say man and woman, he created it, or he created those and some others. Man and woman, he created them. And then what we get from the Scripture is that in his own image and likeness, in his own image and likeness, he created them. It isn't sufficient to say God created man similar to himself. Not when we're saying in his own image and likeness he created them. I am not a Latin scholar. I am not a Greek scholar. But from what I have learned, know, and can recall, I I don't have the Greek to to share it with you because I don't speak Greek. But in the original languages where we say, where we see in his own image and likeness, in the original languages, there's something more intimate there. Not just something that he possesses, but the image and likeness that he created us in in comes from something deeper than just his pockets, just something that he has, right, in his own image. There's an emphasis there that, that we place when we include the word own, in his own image. What we take from that is that the human person is not wearing a mask that looks like God. The human person is the image and likeness of God. It's not the similarity of God. It is the image and likeness of God. So gender is what it is. The human person is what it is. And it is like the, I don't want to say nature. Would you say character of God, Father? Or would that be? No, the, the, the word that's used is image. And in the image of means that it takes from the original and offers back. Takes from the original and offers back. There you go. So there's a foundation of two two set genders. There's a human person, and then the human person has a gender. And I don't know that we'll talk about this part at the top of the show, Father, or we can talk about it whenever you want, but something that I try to put forward is that gender is not fluid. There is nothing we get from science or from Scripture that tells us or even suggests that gender is fluid. I will say that gender is possessed of diversity, as, as, as I usually phrase it. Okay, so not all boys like to play in the dirt. Not all boys. I'm one of them. I I don't like sports. I've said this a lot. I do not like, I like boxing. I like baseball. And that is it. I'm not a sports nut. My brother, may God rest his soul, was the biggest sports junkie you will ever meet. My sister, who I hope never hears this show because she'll get angry at me for saying this, was the biggest tomboy you will ever meet in your life. My sister once beat up a grown man when we were kids. I think she might have been 14 or 15. Okay. Today, she's the most demure lady you've ever met. You would never know she was a tomboy when we were kids. Okay. Not all lady, not all women are what we would say is ladylike. Not all men are gruff and rough and tough. Some are more gentle or more stoic. So there's diversity in gender because, because the, the human gender reflects God, right? A characteristic, characteristics of God. I see, Father, you're holding up a finger. What I but I, I, I want to just pause there for a second because I think what the world has done to us today has put us in this position where we believe that we have to identify by what we see or what we do. Mm-hmm. But gender itself is something that is inherent. It's something intrinsic to the being itself. So when we talk about like male and female, he created them, we're talking about the creation of a person. And as a person, we are a human person. Mm-hmm. We hold 
equal dignity and all the rights of a human person and injustice are treated like a human person. But I think the problem that we have today is kind of along the lines of what you're trying to say there is we try to define the male by certain things that he a male should do, play right. sports, go out and get the food, do, you know. That I think dates back to a, a, the problem that developed when they started doing these kind of gender studies back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, where they decided to come up with these traditional kinds of roles. Mm -hmm. These are the gender roles. So this is what the woman does. The woman raises the children. The woman cooks the meal. The woman cleans the house. The man goes out and works. The man fixes the car. The man mows the lawn. And then all of a sudden it started to say, well, why couldn't a woman mow the lawn? Why can't a man cook the dinner? Well, they do. So mm -hmm. now all of a sudden it becomes the beginning of what we've inherited today. What, what we're seeing today did not just appear four years ago, five years ago, six years ago. This has been building in terms of mentality, in terms of that enculturation, if you will, that indoctrination that we talk about sometimes. So I want to be clear that gender is something that is part of our being. It is what we are, not what we do. Mm. We do as human persons. We live as human persons. We, we interact as human persons first and foremost as being you said in the image and likeness of God. That image and likeness of God is not limited in any way by the fact that we have a gender attached to our personhood. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm clear on that. No, could you repeat all that? <laughs> I could do it in a second if you really needed me to. You know, but it's, I think it's funny because one of the most misunderstood phrases from St. John Paul II in his Theology of the Body is that the body reveals a person. The body reveals the person. The, the, bo the body reveals a person. Now, when he gave us that line, if you look at it in context in the theology of the body, he's not talking that it reveals a man or a woman. He's talking about the body ontologically reveals the person. So hmm. when Adam looked around the garden and saw a cow and a horse and a dog, he saw bodies that were incompatible with his. Those bodies revealed a cow, a dog, etc. Right. When Eve was finally created, the body revealed a person with whom he could finally communion with, right. someone who was his equal, someone that he could look at that was radically different in appearance maybe, but the same person that was revealed to him, finally a being revealed to him. So it has nothing to do with body parts. It has nothing to do with tasks that we do. It has nothing to do with taking on particular roles. It was all about... The person, the body revealed the person, and God created that person, male and female, and that was it. But doesn't the body reveal a male person and a female person? Ultimately, the revelation would be that you would see, in the, but you know, but again, going back to what you were saying, well, then what about the effeminate male or the masculine woman? Mm -hmm. Does that mean that, you know, and then we get down to the question of nowadays you do all these surgeries. So what if... I add all these things that weren't there. I change these things that were there. Now, all of a sudden, have I changed gender? And no, you haven't. The, the, the gender is given by creation, by God. And that's it. It stays that way. But I no am... Matter, a, go ahead. No matter what you manipulate, it stays that way. But, so the body is a sign that reveals something we can't see, right? You see male genitalia, you know that there's a male person. Right, not poured into the body, but 
I guess not intrinsic to the body, maybe the other way around, but you understand from male or female genitalia that the person is of a male or female gender, but you can do, you can do everything to the body to change it, disfigure it, mutilate, whatever, but you're not changing the gender. But the body does reveal the, the person's gender, no? I, I, I think unless, I want... I, I, unless it I'm does, wrong. It does. I want to stay away from the expression that they use in psychology of sex characteristics. Mm-hmm. We have sex characteristics, but let's face it, in genetics there are abnormalities, there are hermaphrodites, there are other problems with that, so that we can't just limit the discussion that a particular body part reveals that that person is masculine or feminine. I'm going to go back to, again, in created reality, and I'm going to use a fancy word here, ontology, Mm -hmm. the study of the being itself. The being itself remains male or female, masculine or feminine, despite how we, like when we were created, despite how we want to look at it down the road. It still remains male or female. That's what God creates, and he only creates one of the two. My My problem today is, Um, I even said something along these lines when I did my doctoral dissertation. Somehow along the way, we allowed science, we allowed secular humanists to define the rules of the dialogue, Mm -hmm. to define the rules of how we can talk about things. Well, you know, I'm an atheist, therefore don't bring up God. I'm an atheist. You can't bring the Bible into this question. This is a you know, bar. I am no a staunch politi- secularist. This is a bar. No politics, no religion. No religion whatsoever. You, can, you know, but you, you start to get into this, this trap now where all of a sudden you're taking every tool out of my quiver that all of a sudden I have to use your language and I have to use your parameters. Well, then, of course, I'm going to draw your conclusions, right. which are, are errant conclusions in the end. <laughs> There's an expression right. you always use about reality, always correcting the, you know, the, the error or something. Yeah. Um, an expression Basically, that I use? It. It's an expression that you used, I've heard you use it in the past, where, you know, reality somehow will always correct errors. Oh, once you cross the threshold of stupid, everything that follows will be stupid. Is Basically. it that? It, it's along those lines, yeah. It's, it's you know, I, I mean, yeah, you know, and because, it's funny because... Just for the people who are not familiar with that, that, that that's something that I, I sometimes still say. Once you cross the threshold of stupid, everything that follows will be stupid. When people... When people make a mistake, when people choose something that's fundamentally errant, nothing they do to correct it along the way will turn it into a truth. You have to go back and fix where you made the fundamental error. You understand? So one plus one equals six. Oh, no, that's wrong. Okay, so six times two equals two. Nothing you do once you cross the threshold is going to turn a lie into a truth. You have to go back to where you cross the threshold of stupid, as I say. Is that what you're talking about? Basically, you know, if, if, and again, people have had it so beat into their heads about all of this stuff of gender is malleable and you can do anything you want. And if you think you're a girl, but you're really a guy, et cetera, et cetera, all of that has become so pervasive that now the lie is accepted by everybody. But let's face it, if a thousand people buy into a lie, it's still a lie. Right. 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 What I often teach is, I mean, you would be, you might not be amazed at what goes on in the classroom. Some of the nonsense, frankly, that kids really believe. I mean, they really believe. And when you tell, I'll tell you a story a little bit later. But when you tell them, here's what the truth is, or here's what the church teaches, they are genuinely shocked. They've never heard this before. And one of the things that I try to drill into their heads 
is the idea of objective truth, objective reality, right? So what time is it now? It's 1.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is true whether I knew about it or not, whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not. I can set my clock to say 12 o'clock a.m., uh, p.m., <laughs> right? That doesn't change the fact that it's 1.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time because you can't change the truth. If you stick a fork in an electric socket, you will die. You'll be electrocuted and likely die. Well, what if you don't believe in electricity? You will still die. What if you think that that uh, electric socket has no power going through it? You will still die. Well, what if I don't like that result? You will still die. This is so hard. That usually works, those analogies, but it's so hard to drill into their heads that there is an objective truth, and it does not change with opinion. And one of the things that I struggle with all the time, especially with people, is that there is a difference between science, fact, truth, and ontological truth, metaphysical mm. truth. And the, the problem with that is there are measurable truths. So, yes, I can say that, you know, 12 inches is always 12 inches. It's always going to be 12 inches. I can't change 12 inches without you know, like taking down half this building because right. it was built on inches and not on meters, say. Right. Where the problem comes in is that people today are trying to do just that. They're trying to take even some of the scientific truths and change them because if objective truth, if metaphysical truth, if the, the truths ordained by God are malleable, then anything is malleable. Well, and I think, yeah. we're, I think we're dealing with that so rampantly today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know what it is? It's... It's, it's a cultural stage show, and it's everyone trying to get everyone else to pretend in common, okay, to pretend in kind. I am a bird. Well, if everyone in the human population is compelled by law to agree that I am a bird, okay, then I guess I'm a bird. But reality is going to tell me otherwise, because if I jump off of that building, I will fall to the ground and die. Reality is a tough teacher, right? So <clears throat> as much as it's a stage show... Reality is the director. <laughs> at know? the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day. And know? reality, and it's reality as ordained by the creator. I know a lot of people out there don't like to talk about God and creation, but even some of the smartest people, some of the brilliant scientists and other people have examined reality and have concluded that there is a God. Is that because, right? the, oh yeah, there are, I mean, some of the most brilliant minds of the scientific community were priests. Yes, yes. You know, the whole, the whole Big Bang Theory the Big came Bang, from a priest. Father Genetics was a priest. Priest, you know, so it's, you know, some of the most brilliant people, some of the best scientists will examine the universe and eventually conclude that it's not an accident. It's not just by chance that this happened. There is something about it that is um, mystical. It's beyond just mere explanation by... Yeah. Boiling it down, you know, like the reductionism that we see. Let's boil it down to its atoms and everything, and then we can tell you that this exists because of these atoms. And yet I still can't explain why the human person is so radically different than any other creature on the face of the earth. This is, this is something that I have brought up again and again and again in discourse and, and debate. And, I'm, gonna, and I'm, I'm not bragging because I'm not a genius. It's just that when people are defending a lie, they're, they're going to come up stupid. Period. It's not because I'm a genius. It's because they're defending a lie. So I've had biologists who could not answer this, okay? If there is nothing unique about the human person, why is there nothing in creation that's like us? 
Okay, pick any insect. There's a million like them of similar species or the same species or different species. There's a million like them. Um, any animal, any mammal, there are others like them. Uh, pick a primate, right? There's gorillas, orangutans, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's only one human being. There's only one. Well, no, there's black ones, white ones, Asian ones. No, 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 no. Those are yep. all human beings, and there's only one of them. I mean, there's men and women, but we're one species, right? So why is it that in all of creation that we can observe, there's only one of us, and you're telling me there's nothing unique about us? And I think, and, I think and the breakdown— Not to cut you off, but if, if I don't finish this, I'll forget. The thing that, I, that really nails them across the chops is this— have you ever seen gorillas studying humans in a zoo? No. Have you, or, or they go to, um, they go to uh, evolution. Okay, fine. What's the point of evolution? Survivability, survival of the fittest, and so on. Uh, an animal is suddenly in a cold environment, it'll grow fur, whatever. Fine. What did we get from evolution? Our intelligence. And what does our intelligence enable us to do? For instance, it, may, it enables us to study, to go out into space, to go under the water, to explore or even live in in hostile environments. Do you know any animal that can do that? Do you know any other creature that has crossed the barrier of its natural habitat, of its natural plane, for instance? We could live in—we do live in space. There are people living in space. They don't do it naturally. They do it with the assistance of technology. But that makes no difference. We were adaptable to space. We could live under the water if we wanted to. No other creature can do that. And you're telling me there's nothing unique about the development of the human person? Come on. Sorry, go ahead. No, and that's okay, because again, I think the, the biggest mistake, if you will, of education was to move away from the philosophical sciences. And I use the word science specifically yeah. because they want to take that and say, that's not a science. Right. No, if you, you go back to the most ancient cultures, I mean, the Greeks, the Romans, everybody had philosophy as the first science, if you will, right. that only ultimately then brings you, to, um, brings you to the conclusion that something is real, something is what it is. Right. It is what it is. First and foremost. First and foremost. It is what it is. And we have to order our, ex our, our exploration of it to discern what it is, not how it can be disfigured or distorted or misused to our liking. If you're just joining us, thank you and welcome to the show. This is The Catholic Experience. Those of you catching me on demand, you're already aware of that. And I want to remind you, if you're not signed up for my newsletter, you're probably going to hell. If not, Jesus will definitely shame you for it at the resurrection when you are judged. The thing about the newsletter, folks, is I, I can tell you right now, there are people right now following my socials who have no idea this show is happening. Do you know why? Because two-thirds of them do not see most of what I post. Literally, two-thirds do not see most of what I post. So the benefit of the newsletter is there's no social media middleman getting between you and me. So when I send out, for instance, everyone who received my newsletter knew this show was going to hit. They all knew because there was no algorithm getting in between. So in my newsletter, I send out uh, occasional reflections on Scripture or reflections and writings of the Church Fathers, uh, and I send out updates. And I only do this once a week, sometimes once every other week. I don't flood your inbox. And in, in the newsletter, I include um, th things that are important that I p published to the website over the past week or two. If you're not subscribed 
Shame on you, but you can fix that. Go to catholicadventurer.com. You'll find a form field at the top of the website. Just fill that in with your email address. Do not worry. I do not share it. I do not sell it. I do not trade it. Frankly, I don't even look at it. I have no idea who you are. I have no interest in knowing what your email address is. So your information is safe with me. Sign up for the newsletter. It's free. It hits every week, sometimes every other week. It takes a social me- social media middleman out of the mix. And I just want to remind you to follow me at For the Queen BVM on Twitter. Before we go on, Father, you want to plug your socials real quick, or do you not care? Pretty much anything with F R P E T E R D, Father Peter D. Pretty much that's where you'll find me: YouTube, Facebook, um, my website, FatherPeterD.net. Um, so please check in. I do a lot of posting of, especially like homilies. I, um, I am working on uh, my own podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So I do appreciate that. And I'm going to add a little tag to all of that. Whenever you see something on social media that you like, that you think, you know, Catholic adventure, wow, what a great guy. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you put a comment complimenting mm-hmm. him yeah. because these are some of the things that help those yeah. algorithms break down a little bit because that's some of what they look at on these algorithms. So so do yeah. us a favor by like, you know, don't just, oh, that was nice and scroll right <clears throat> past it. Just hit the like if you could. You know, likes help. Comments help even more. <laughs> um, and please be polite. You know, we're yeah. Catholic. Please be polite. If you have a constructive criticism, I'm willing to listen. But some strange people have said some strange things on my social media. Oh, I get it all the time. It's unbelievable. You know, I, and I have to say, you know, no offense, folks, but I have to say, you Catholics are so cheap, it's unbelievable. <laughs> You're talking like, to a pastor. A ca- oh, I know it. I know it. Well, I've been, you know, in apologetics and ministry and communications for like 30 years easily, and so I know it firsthand too. And I can tell you, Catholics will spend five bucks a day on coffee— but God forbid you ask him for five bucks a month to support your ministry. But the thing, that's not the point I'm trying to make, though. The point I'm trying to make is you can ask and beg and plead, please tap like. That's it. What's it cost you? Nothing. Zero. It costs you nothing. Please tap like. And boy, are they discerning about that damn like button. Boy, are they judicious. And, and, the, and the share, share button. button. And not only does it help us, it helps you. Because when you tap like, when you engage, when you leave comments, it tells the algorithm this is content this person likes to see. I will send them more of it. So you're not just helping us, you're helping yourselves. So so uh, throw a like over there. It doesn't just have to be to me or Father D, but any Catholic content creator that you value. For Pete's sake, it costs you nothing to throw them a like, and you really help them out a lot. Okay, let's get on with the, uh, let's get on with the program here. So, you know, when, when you get back to the question about this whole thing that's going on in our society, this, this societal upheaval, if you will, I don't know how it, it exploded so fast on the, uh, you know, on the cultural stage. I mean, it's everywhere now where yeah. it used to be, and then certainly in my lifetime, you would have never had conversations in public about some 10-year-old boy that wants to be a girl that they're going to, you know, make that happen. They'll work with this child. They'll try to help this child. But the last piece of help that they would want is to say to this child, you know what, we'll mutilate your body. Now, here's the thing that it goes back to to my youth, I think, was that was back when we we said, no, we're going to help you to just embrace who you are. Mm -hmm. So you have the male body, you are a male person, maybe you feel like inclined to do these effeminate things, that's okay. You can still be a male. 
you can still be the man that you were created as you were. And and that's why that's why I get frustrated today listening to some of these conversations where like just right away and I think behind it maybe, just possibly mm-hmm. behind it, are these scientists who want to do experiments with us. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. like what if we what if we take the cork out of the bottle and let this genie loose in society? What if we open up Pandora's box and let let's see what happens? Well, this has been going for instance, so gender transitioning surgery has been going on. They were experimenting with it a little bit in the 70s. Um, and in the 80s, they were really, really pushing it. And, and I mean, it's, it's butchery today. You can imagine what it was like in the 80s. And they were pushing it hard. Obviously, they weren't, you know, advertising it on TV or anything like that. But anyone who was vaguely effeminate, especially in, in the gay communities, okay, they were being very strongly encouraged to see these doctors, well, you don't have to do the whole thing. Just get, you know, just get some breasts installed or get your breasts removed or, you know. And so they spent at least since the 80s experimenting on people. They didn't know what they were doing, really. They were experimenting and they needed somebody to experiment on. Well, you know how data, you know how data works. You have to have a representative sample of information that you can present to the scientific community. And it has to be a sufficient sample size. And if you don't get enough people buying into this or wanting to try this, then you really have a hard time getting your sample size to present to the community. So you've got to find ways to get people to be willing to want to try it. Right. And that's right. the part that frightens me the most. Well, it frightens me the most. And, and apart from that, the prevalence of this in the cultural, intellectual atmosphere normalizes it to, to young children, where they, they're conditioned out of taking their own... First of all, I don't think children of any generation should have to think too much about their own gender. That just comes naturally. That should not be something that's prevalent in the, in the foreground of your, of your thinking. But now it's, it's causing them to think about that, and it's causing them... It's causing confusion about their own gender, which is still in development, not developing from one thing to another just developing into the uniqueness of that person, right? Not that the gender is developing into the person, but you know what I'm saying. So let me be precise because I know you're a stickler for precision. So the gender is what it is, but then how we carry or express the who we are as persons is developing. Gender comes along for the ride because gender is fundamental to the human being, okay? But the person itself as a whole is still developing. So during this period of development, they're starting to think critically and stupidly about things like their own gender. Maybe I'm actually a girl in a boy's body, and so on and so on, because this kind of thinking t- in, in their environment is normal. So whether or not they do anything about it, this being in the cultural intellect is affecting how they are developing. It is making them look at themselves more critically, and it's making them edit, frankly, this isn't boyish enough, this isn't girlish enough, maybe, and so on and so on. It's making them edit where their development you would have just been fine left alone. And I have to admit, I have spoken to plenty of people who have had all sorts of issues along the spectrum here, um, sexual preference, gender uh, confusion, et cetera, et cetera. And I've talked to them, and my heart goes out to them. I, 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 I'm heartbroken because, again, you know, it's now a, a time and a place where they're struggling. Yeah. And they're, they're looking and they're searching, and all of a sudden somebody's saying, just go with it. Just right. run with it, you know. And, right. and yet 
like there was one conversation I had with a man who was hearing all of this rhetoric and wondering about himself. And when I said to him, it's okay for you to be a man, you can have these feelings within you that aren't going to fit that mold that people say is how a man should act. Mm -hmm. But you're still a man. Just embrace that. Just embrace the fact that you can father children, that you can do this, that you can do that. This is, you know, what could be the result of it. But your being, and again, I'll go back to John Paul II, who was so brilliant, speaks the maleness. You're just male. It's not, you don't have to, it's not actions, it's not doing, it's who you are. And if you can embrace that, the look on his face during that conversation, I was just watching the change in his face go from anxious to relaxed. Like you said, I'm free. In, in effect, because yeah. the world was encaging him that, no, if you feel this way, the only way out of it is that you start taking these drugs, you have this surgery, and you change your name, and you change this, and you right. change that. He, he right. just kind of implicitly knew that there was something backwards about that. Yeah. And let me ask you this. What is maleness or femaleness? When you look at the being, so when you look at Adam and Eve, God created Adam male. It, mm -hmm. the, the Bible states that. So when it says that God created him male, one of the things, one of the things that um, Pope John Paul II was very big on was it's fatherhood. It's who you are, the masculinity. That's who you are as male, as opposed to the motherhood, the femininity, the female. He made the clear distinctions of it's a language that we speak beyond body language. So mm -hmm. it's the language that we speak in terms of complementarity, that the maleness and the femaleness, like the different persons in the Trinity, have this potential for union that only males and females could have with each other in that complementarity. But is so that... that the, Go ahead. So that one of the expressions that's used is that the, the male, in terms of the gift, the gift of love, the gift of union is initiated by the male, received by the woman, and then returned in re reciprocity to make the union complete. The most brilliant image that you see in scripture is that of Christ, the bridegroom, the church, the bride, that mm -hmm. there's this gift of priesthood in Christ that marries the bride, the church, who receptively receives and returns to him that gift, if you will, that he has given to them. Interesting little fact. What is that thing that's sometimes over a sanctuary? Is that called the Portokino? Baldacchino. Baldacchino. Um, the reason, the, the tradition behind that is that's how, that there used to be a Baldacchino over a marital bed. And so it symbolizes the, mar you know, the, the marital union between Christ, the groom, and the church, the bride, and I don't know if you would say it's consummated on the altar at the at the consecration. I don't I don't think that component is in the tradition, but it's something like that. There's something significant to the fact that it's over the altar, over the sanctuary, you know, the bride, the bride, and 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 the groom. Um, and, and there is that, and there there is that imagery. I mean, you know, there is an espousal uh, a espousal aspect to our relationship to God as well that sometimes gets lost in all of this language today. And, and it's kind of almost heartbreaking because yeah. so many Catholics will sit in the pew and not recognize the gift, the gift of love, the gift of the relationship that we're given in Jesus Christ, the mm -hmm. gift of love and relationship that we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. 
But let me throw this at you. Surely there's got to be more to maleness and femaleness than just our, you know, facility for procreation. It plays out as you see in history. So from the time of the fall onward, the man was told, you will have to now till the earth. If food isn't going to just be provided. The woman's told, you will have to labor in pain and, and anguish. So it plays out from the being to the outside, not the other way around, which I think sometimes is the mm -hmm. way we want to do it. Since mm -hmm. you are the That's one who tilled the ground, that makes you the man. No. It, it became almost like a pragmatic kind of a thing that, let's face it, when you look at the whole relationship between males and females, women were the ones who birthed the babies. It was just the way it was. They, well, their they're, bodies the only ones, to, they're the only ones who can do it. it well, I, you ever <laughs> see that meme that goes around, like, you know, 8 billion people on the earth, 8 billion people born of women, zero of men? That's science. It's like, you know, <laughs> um, they, they have the womb. And if science even were to find some way, which maybe they will, to, to change that, whatever, the reality is that the women were the ones who nurtured it. And I will say this. I, I look at the way mothers interact with their children and fathers. They both love them, but there's a nurturing that the woman gives that's different than the nurturing that the man gives. 100%. It, you know, and I'm not saying that it's a role. I'm not saying it's one of those things that we can study and then define, and that what is what makes a man a man. And if mm -hmm. a woman can do it, therefore she can be a man. No, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that it kind of unfolds that way. So yeah. the, the, the body reveals a person and the male body reveals the masculine person that will kind of interact with the world in a very different way than the female person. It, sure. That's just the way it is. Sure. And, and again, I'm going back to the metaphysics and the ontology. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. To say that, that it expresses from the being, not the other way around. The, right. the, the, the doing does not it, make the being. Right. It expresses from the, from the being, from the inside to the expression in the outside, uh, on to the expression outside of one's being. It's not the other way around. Um, I cook because I'm a woman. Well, no. Or I play sports because I'm a man. No, your gender guides your, your gender guides your, your, the expression of your person and, and your character. So I am a man first, but that doesn't express itself in a love of sports. You know, except I do enjoy boxing because I like hitting people. <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's times I say but, maybe that's not a bad thing. The point is it starts on the inside. It doesn't start on the outside. I think that's an important thing to point out because there's a lot of confusion about gender out in, in the world. And I have, and I have said this for a very long time. Okay. That the devil, and if I'm wrong, father, don't be shy to correct me. You will not embarrass me. I don't care. Okay. The devil has spent a long time confusing the genders. And no offense to any males out there who wear earrings, but I'm just being straight with you. I think it started with things like that. I know it seems stupid, but hear me out. When we, every great destruction starts with a single scratch of a fresh paint job. A single scratch of a fresh paint job. Every utter destruction, destruction starts that way. So when genders started becoming confused, okay, not just roles that are changing. So roles being reversed might be like a scratch on the wall. I don't know. But gender confusion has been going on since the 60s a little bit, 70s more, 80s I a want, lot more. I want to call it a rebellion. Okay, a rebellion. There, there was a gender rebellion. And if you remember, there was a song from the, the late 60s by the Monkees called Laugh. 
Yeah. And one of the one of the uh, the stanzas of it is laugh when you go to a party and you can't tell the boys from the girls. Right. When men were starting to grow long hair and right. you know put on jewelry and things like that that maybe more traditionally were reserved Correct. that women had long hair. It it didn't change their masculinity. It just but, changed right. their appearance. Right. Or what you had also is and what continues today is they alter they alter their gender expression to something that is compelled by the outside or chosen from outside of themselves. It's not intrinsic. It's not organic to the expression of their actual gender. It's not starting from the inside. It's starting from the outside. Okay. Um, And that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make here is we've spent a long time um, under this shadow of confusion of genders. Now people are trying, there are some people who are trying to course correct and they're getting it wrong. I'll give you one simple example. Boys shouldn't cry. I I don't agree that boys should not cry. I think boys naturally are inclined to have more control over their emotions or more control over when, where, and how they express those emotions. But I think it's very destructive to tell boys they should never cry. You know, and I don't think, and I don't think, because I grew up in a culture where that was a very common thing. Same. And if you fell down and you got hurt, you know. Walk it off and get back on, you know, that, that, that well, kind of I thing. Well, I say that to my son, I have to be honest with you. But I but, don't... But again, but but there was a, there's a value to it. That's why I'm pointing it out. There's some, somewhat of a value to it of training the person, of, like you said, like there is a time and a place, and there are certain right. times and places where right. I need you to be focused, or I need you to be stronger, I need you to be right. the one to lead this so that we can get through this. Right. So, right. you know, like the general in a battle is the one that has to get the soldiers to the other side of this as healthy and as alive as he can. Yeah. And so he doesn't have the room sometimes yeah. to this, allow this for certain the, things to get in the way. This is not the time to fall apart. Right. And, and, and that's, I think that was an important thing. And even this whole thing of, you know, like, again, trying to say, well, women can do this too. Well, they, they can, but they're going to do it very differently. They're going to approach it very differently. That's just part of the language, that complementarity that I'm thankful for and, you know, and as a priest, I, I joke about this all the time. People say, Father, you don't know what it's like to be married. I said, I got 500 wives. You got one. I'll tell you, that's, you know, that's so, no so joke. So I, I do and, understand it. And, you know, there's a way, I, I understand you're being tongue-in-cheek, but there's a way that a man has to work with his wife, function with his wife. There are Absolutely. Things, one, time, one time, I don't remember what my wife, what my wife did. I think she threw something out that shouldn't be thrown away. I, I don't remember what it was. But let's just say it was that. She threw something out that doesn't belong in the garbage. I says, no, don't throw that out. Boy, are you dumb. And she said, hey, but that's a Ralph Cramden line. Boy, are you dumb. And it's hilarious. But she didn't. Anyway, so I know not to make jokes like that with my wife because she's sensitive to them. Now, you have to do that with like 500 wives. And, you have and they to, all and they all have different little things different that are little triggers things for them. That are triggers. You have to have different. You have to have five hundred modes of operation because you have quote five hundred quote unquote wives people that you have I, to interact with. I, I kid you not. I gave a homily uh, about a year and a half ago, and I had heard something from Bishop Barron talking about this thing that was on Netflix called uh, the Social Dilemma. Hmm. And so I brought it up in my homily because I went and. I went and watched the thing. I didn't have a Netflix account. And I made it clear, I don't have a Netflix account. I had to borrow someone's account to watch this. But when I watched this particular thing, this this documentary, if you will, on what they do to manipulate you, to keep you watching their social media and to keep picking up your phone, I just pointed it out to people that this is intentional manipulation Mm -hmm. of your attention. Yeah. 
I just made maybe a minute, minute and a half reference. At the door of the church, this woman comes up to me. Father, I can't believe you're promoting Netflix. I said, I didn't promote Netflix. I just made reference to Netflix. I, I said, yeah. you know, and they do have some terrible stuff on Netflix. They, that whole thing with the little girls and all the others. I said, I get it. I said, I don't have a Netflix account. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. But it was the only place that I could watch this particular video. Right. So I, I, I did watch it. Well, my, my answer to her was not sufficient enough. She wrote the bishop. You're kidding me. She wrote the bishop. And now, of course, the bishop's got to take it seriously. I sent the link to the homily because I, I, I record everything. I sent the link to the homily and I said, write exactly where we're in. I said, you listen to it and tell me how much promotion I gave to Netflix. I said, I'm not advocating that people get a Netflix account. I'm just talking about this video. <laughs> She wrote to the, this is what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you think you've got the one, you know, this one person was triggered by the fact that I brought up Netflix. Well, you know, it's, it's funny talking about gender. If you trigger a man, he'll, he'll take a swing at you, right? At, at the most extreme level, he'll take a swing at or you. Or at least square off with you. Right. If you trigger a woman, character assault. That's their thing. <laughs> it can be. It can be. No, it is. <laughs> well, That's true. You well, let me let me let me clarify. If you, so, I'm talking about extremes. I'm not saying taking a swing is like the the right and natural way to go. That's when you've gone too far. Okay, so I'm not saying this is normal. What I'm saying is that's where men go too far. Is it becomes physical? That's wh and where women go too far, it becomes character assassination. You know, they try to kind of bring you down. You know, I remember as as a kid. Um, things would escalate in the most ridiculous ways. Uh, so let's say if it was me and John Doe, John Doe would insult me. I would insult John Doe. And it would go back and forth. And everybody knows this routine. Each insult is more vicious than the one before it. And it usually went to insulting somebody's mother. And then that went back and forth, back and forth, each insult getting worse than the other. Until finally someone takes a swing because that last insult was a little too... That went too far, right? The funny thing is, every not every fight, but most of the fights started out just that way. Everyone knows what this cycle is. You know where it's going, so why not just skip it? <laughs> you know? You, you know, and there's, there's a, there was a wisdom down through the ages, especially like when we had boys' schools and girls' schools and things like that. There was a wisdom down through the ages of allowing the masculinity to flourish or the femininity to flourish um, I remember a couple little things. Um, I was asked to go on World Youth Day to Denver when mm -hmm. I was still in the seminary. My pastoral parish was sending a group of kids, and they needed some male chaperones to, to come along. We get to the hotel in Denver, and there was a pool. So, all right, you know, I went over with the kids, and the boys jump into the pool. And what do boys do when they're in the pool? They're roughhousing. Oh, dunking okay. each other, pushing each other. Yeah, one of the mothers comes running up to do. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but one of the mothers come up running up to me and says, you know, you got to stop them. They're fighting. And I looked over and said, they're not fighting. She said, no, no, look. I said, when it turns, you'll know. If it, right. if it escalates to that point, you'll know. I said, they're just establishing themselves with each other. Right. That, that's just a kind of a, a guy thing to do. Right. Um, there was a woman in my second assignment. She had twin daughters. And she decided to send them to Sacred Heart, which was an all-girls school. Mm-hmm. They, they were fighting when they were in eighth grade. They were fighting. I don't want to go to an all-girls school. You know, now they're in 10th grade. And I said, so how's it going? She goes, oh, they love it. They get up in the morning. They don't have to worry about makeup. They know what to wear. That's, you know, you know, like life was made easier right, for them right. so that they could focus on those times when they did have to doll up a little bit or, right. or, or be, be prepared. 
And I just thought that that was kind of funny because they, you know, originally they didn't want to do it because they thought that, you know, it would be so much easier to have the boys around and to be able to flirt all day long or whatever it was that they wanted to do. And they realized, no, you know what? I can hang out with the other girls and not have to pretend that I'm, you know, like this this kind of person or whatever. Now, mind you, I, I've had I've heard confessions in all girl Catholic schools, and there is there is a level of cattiness. So I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen, but it's not the same as if it were the pressures that would be in a co-ed school. Yeah, that I can that I can believe that that I, I've only ever been to co-ed schools, but that that I can believe that it might be characteristically different in an all-girls school. Before we go on, I just want to let the folks know, if there are any folks listening, that if you would like to be a part of the show, you have a question, a comment, or a statement, you can begin populating the phone lines. The number, if you'd like to do that, is 888-546-4656. Again, 888-546-4656. His prices are insane. (laughs) <laughs> Again, you're dating yourself. Yes, I don't care. I don't care. I get finer like wine as I age. Yes, you do. Yeah. I have to say, we've got a sponsor for this episode, Father. You want to take a minute while I tell you about it? Please do. All right. So have you ever heard of Incensum, the Catholic cigar company? Are you a cigar smoker yourself? I'm I'm not. A, the last time I smoked a cigar, I swore I'd never do it again. Oh, really? Then yeah. You're a little bit... There we go. You're a little bit of a, of a unicorn. Most priests love cigars or single malt scotch. I think you're the second priest only, and I've known like a billion priests. You're the second priest only who doesn't smoke cigars. Do you like now, scotch? No, single malt scotch. Single malt scotch, I could I could definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, those are those are pretty great. So Incensum is, is a Catholic cigar company. It's Catholic owned and operated by two great fellas. They're two brothers and two family men. Their cigars are hand, are they're using hand-rolled premium tobacco from one of the only domestic cigar manufacturers in the Midwest. That's pretty rare. And the fella uses tobacco from 14 different countries, and the quality is unbelievable because the better the tobacco, the better the smoke. Everybody knows that. I'm primarily a pipe smoker myself, but I like to dabble with cigars maybe once a week or so. It's kind of very mannish, I have to tell you, because the thing about a cigar or a pipe is it forces you to slow down and think. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of a guy thing to do. It's kind of a guy thing to do. That you just have to stop and settle down and think for a while, you know? Each cigar, this is the unique thing about Incensum Cigar Company. Each cigar that they send out has a QR code. And the QR code has a homily or a podcast or like a Catholic question um, that'll promote truth, encourage good topics for discussion, and it's inspiring and edifying. So you're not just sitting around with a cigar crammed in your kisser. You can actually learn something and better yourself. Have something to think about if nothing comes to mind because your life isn't interesting enough. <laughs> and cigar- you know that, and that, and that's a good that they that you encourage that because yeah. I think the thing that's probably most absent in society today is dialogue. Let's Big just time. talk about it. Big time. And we can disagree and disagree and disagree and disagree. That's okay. But if we don't talk about it, we'll never learn. We'll never get any. We'll never get yeah. any better. Yeah, you have to think and learn and learn and think to get better. We're a thinking species, and we see God with the mind first. Saint Augustine said that, and that has always stuck with me. So it's interesting. So these cigars basically bring you the truth. You know, it's not just a cigar. It's it's they they bring you the truth. And 
But finally, hey, they've got a QR code that can start a good conversation. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. I thought when I when I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness, this is like the best idea. It's literally the best idea I've ever heard. They're going to be launching on Ash Wednesday. They haven't officially launched yet. They're la- oh. launching on Ash Wednesday. It's a cigar company launching on Ash Wednesday. How There's clever is that? There's an irony there. I'm telling you. A Catholic cigar company. A, a Catholic, Catholic cigar. cigar company. So it's pretty great. Their website isn't up yet, but you really should follow them on Twitter at Incensum underscore CCC. I'm going to place a link in an ad on this episode's on-demand page. So you'll find them on Twitter slash X at Incensum underscore CCC. Let me spell that for you. I-N-C-E-N-S-U-M underscore CCC. You really should follow them because you're going to be able to keep up with their story, keep up with their journey. Um, the guy posts great stuff. I love what he posts. Sometimes he'll post like this fireside chat. The fireside chat topics are really interesting. The last one he did was um, about leadership. You know, how do, how do, how do Catholic, Catholics or Catholic men, how do you lead? What's different about or, or uniquely Catholic about how you lead? So you definitely want to follow him on X at Incensum underscore ccc follow his journey click on the link you'll find it on this episode's on-demand page and when this fella launches consider making a purchase okay support catholic businesses check them out on twitter now a little off topic maybe but what do you think of this whole twitter x thing because i don't really do twitter i i have an account but i hardly ever use it so i have been using twitter on various accounts either my own or places i've worked for and so on since since before there was an app for twitter Okay, that's how far back I go with, with Twitter. And I can tell you, I came back to Twitter after Elon bought it. I mean, I had the account for a while. Let me tell you about this. My I've, I've used it more since he bought it. I will admit yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you about this account, which I started when I began blogging because I wanted to do something for the Blessed Virgin Mary. I wasn't planning on being like a, a social media warrior, just something to post my my articles on. And... And, and this whole gender thing, your your Twitter handle is this queen thing. I always, like, when I first saw that, I was like, I had to sound it out to make sure I was saying it right. <laughs> That's what, for the queen BVM on it. The, the BVM Blessed was the Virgin part that Mary. I, you know, for the queen. I was like, ooh. Yeah. But uh, I'll cut the story short. As soon as I put Catholic in my, this was before Elon, when I put the word Catholic in my bio, I was banned from Twitter. Shadow banned. I was, no, banned. And I had to appeal it. The account was maybe several months old. I was doing nothing with it. I think I had one post on there. And then I put the word Catholic. And the post was like testing one, two, three or something stupid. I put the word Catholic in my bio. And the next time I logged in, I was banned. That was before Elon. So that's how hypersensitive the algorithm was. I have not had a lick of problem on on Twitter slash X since he bought it, and I started using the platform hard since he bought it because now it was safe to do so. So I, I well, I think at least you could have good. an opinion. Yeah, yeah. And then Facebook is the demon. So I'll post something to Facebook. It doesn't matter what it is. It's secrets to the universe. It's tomorrow's winning lottery. It doesn't matter what it is. Facebook will send it to one person. Yeah, one person. On Instagram, which is still Facebook's algorithm, I have a few hundred uh, followers. You know how many? It distributes my posts to four to ten. Yeah, four to ten, usually two or three. So, you know, it, so the the what I'm trying to get at that is, is a long winded answer to your question is to to really exercise your natural right 
to speak and say what what you feel is right. Um, Twitter is it. X is it. Facebook definitely suppresses you. Instagram su- suppresses you. I, I, I haven't had a lick of problem on, on, on Twitter. That's my number one. Good. Like I said, I, I, I never did really get into it, even when it was first kind of growing and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, to, to be honest with you, I am at a point in my life where I try to avoid social media as much as I can. Right. So I go on because I have to. There was the parish Facebook, my own Facebook. I do have an Instagram. I almost never use it. Yeah. Like I said, I do have a Twitter. do a fair amount with YouTube, but I, again, beyond that, I just, first off, after seeing that, that, uh, thing on social media uh, that was on Netflix, taught me, don't put it on your phone. Keep, yeah. keep as much off your phone as possible because then it follows you wherever you go. So now I'm at least disciplined with my social media that, all right, you know what, I'm going to take 20 minutes right now. I'm going to do some posting. I'm going to update this. I'm going to put that on the calendar, et cetera, for the parish. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I try, to, I try not to get pulled in by it all day. Otherwise, I'll get nothing else done. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have to be disciplined with it. I have to pull myself off of it and be disciplined with it. A lot of times, sometimes it looks like I'm very busy on social media, but a lot of times I have posts scheduled. Scheduled, yeah. You know, so it, don't, it looks like I'm posting all day, but I'm really not. Okay, let's get back into the action. Hello and welcome to those of you who are joining me here at CatholicAdventurer.com. Please sign up for my newsletter because Jesus is going to ask you about that when you meet him. He's going to say, did you sign up? For the newsletter at catholicadventure.com. You don't want to tell him no. You don't want now to tell him no. Now you got me scared. Now you got me scared. I haven't signed up. You better sign up. I better sign up. So, you got me scared. Yeah. Believe me. Believe me. So let me ask you. So I say the gender is fluid, but it has diversity. I, th- I guess we've already covered that, right? Um, what is a human person? I, have we covered that sufficiently? Like, what is a human person specifically as it relates to, to gender? Is So is... is is the human person inseparable from gender the way, well, I guess the soul is not inseparable from the body because that happens when we die. But the, bo- the, the, the human being is not a body with a soul poured into it. It's a, it's a body-soul composite, correct? I'm trying to remember how uh, Bishop Barron said it the other day, but it basically um, the body doesn't contain the soul. The soul contains the body. And that's not exactly how we said it, but that's ba- the basic point. Okay. Um, I, I always go back, first off, even though at death the body and soul might be separated, it's only for a time. Right. So it's, right. there's still a linking there somehow, which is why people who get all creeped out about, you know, like whenever you go to Rome and you see an arm of a saint or something, and they're like, you know, people that get excited about relics because there's still that connection between heaven and earth. Right. That this, this person who we claim is in heaven, well, here's a body that's going to be joined to that soul that's in heaven. Right. So I, I don't I don't necessarily say that there isn't some mystical thing about it. I, I think when it comes to person, first, if I always go back to the Boethian definition, it's a individual substance of a rational nature, which is a packed, packed philosophical statement yes. yeah. to which I think John Paul II added other things. So it's an individual substance of a rational nature that's irreducible and unreplaceable. That That's a key thing. Irreducible. Um, Irreducible. I think in the modern world, and especially against the communists, people wanted to reduce the person to their biological parts, or right. they wanted to reduce the person to their atoms and other things. Right. So again, we have to remember that the person is is the being. It's the, it's who you are before you've ever done anything, before you've ever said anything, before you've ever gone anywhere. 
your personhood is the gift given to you from the moment of conception. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they used to still sometimes those arguments in the abortion debates as to when the ensoulment happens and all this other stuff. Yeah. It's instantaneous. We know that now because every all, all the power of human existence that you will have is the same from the moment you were conceived until the time you die. It's right. the exact same power that's given to you. So that, that you doesn't die. change. Yeah. And, and well, it, it remains, like I said, um, you know, there's still that connection. Yeah. But you'll never be more human than the moment you were conceived. You are fully human, fully personhood. Your, your personhood is there. Right. That personhood is linked to the divine, obviously, in the Imago Dei, the, imagine, uh, the uh, image of God. Right. So when we talk about the human person, you know, like take, take, for instance, the person that'll come up to me and ask, is my dog in heaven? It's a frustrating question because it's going to presume that the dog could go to hell. Right. So I'll say to them, did your dog have free will? Did your dog ever have to go to confession? Well, no. I said, well, then it's a moot question. They said, what do you mean? All of that part of existence will be in the kingdom. Right. It's not a question. A dog can't sin. What makes you unique is that rational nature that you have to be able to know right from wrong, good from bad, right. happy from sad. The dog doesn't know any of that. So that's why when we get into the whole personhood thing, what we have to remember, human personhood is unique. Like you said earlier, you know, we could, you know, accidentally, the, the Thomistic language, the um, Aristotelian language, we have a substance that is human, but we're accidentally different. So, you know, um, hair color, skin color, all of those things, right. while we might differ on that, the being behind it is still the same. Right. Even the maleness and the femaleness, the being behind it. This is where people understood the church so much that they always said that we were like, you know, these misogynists that hate women and all of a sudden, you know, subjugate women. No, really, the church has been at the forefront, even from the time of Christ, of, of saying that women have their value in their personhood. Right. It might right. be played out differently in society, but the value is the same. It's interesting between men and women. Um, it's so hard to make truth arguments these days because people, you know, I always used to say you can't fit truth in a tweet, but that's how people want it. But they're asking these very complex questions or they're expressing frustrations that require a treatment of something that's complex and deep, deeper than, a, you know, a tweet, as I say. One of the things is, you know, the men in the church have all the power. Well, <laughs> what do you see as power? So the way I see men and women both have power. The, theme, the, the, the woman is a power, is, is a gender of strength. The, and maleness is a gender of strength, but they're expressed differently. So women are more spiritually powerful. They're how they're able to teach. When my kids were very young, they would ask the strangest questions. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't even know how to answer a question like that because they're simple questions, but it's, it's like, why do... But why their minds, their minds couldn't fathom the answer you want to give. Right. But my wife is like, boom. <laughs> Instantly, the perfect answer. Like in a hundred years, Father, I could not have come up with an answer like that. Forget about on the spot, Okay. Um, women have a more quiet power, a spiritual power, how they teach, how they nurture, how they care, how they interpret things. One Fulton, of the most Fulton damaging Sheen. things, one of the most damaging things to the church was the mass exodus of women religious. Yes. Yes. 
their, yes. their, their, their feminine genius, their feminine mysticism that was what I say is the real spine of the church. While you might see a figurehead, you might see the Pope or whatever, mm-hmm. the church herself was spiritually held together. The glue, if you will, were the women. Yeah. Now, when you look at even in the family, the woman is the one who is really the one that holds the family together, if you right. ask me. I mean, if you just allow it to be what it is and not have all these manipulations we have today, the woman has a power over the future generations that men throughout history never had. Mm-hmm. Who so, is with the children all day long? The woman. Who right. is the one forming the child all day long? The woman. Who is the one that came home and had to be the disciplinarian? You know, it's like... My grandmother once said, um, I don't remember what sparked this rage session. And it wasn't, you know, like crazy or anything. But it ended with, you know, women now, they're always saying, I want to conquer the world, conquer the world. Let me tell you something. I've already conquered the world. You know how? I raised seven kids. And that's it right there. That is it right there, you know. And a a man's strength in, let's say, in, in family life, a man's strength is protecting the family, guarding the family, not just in, in physically or, or temporally or corporeally, but spiritually, guarding the family, drawing the line, okay, enforcing, I don't like the term enforcing the law, but I mean it technically, enforcing the law, you know. No, we are going to church. I don't care if we're on vacation. There's no such thing as a vacation from our duties to God. And that is that kind of thing, you know. That was my father. Yeah, you know. So... A man protects the family, and a woman does tend to be the one who makes the machine go. And a man sets the environment whereby the woman is able to do that. And I don't know why this became... To have dominion over the children and over the operating operation of the household. And the man sets and protects the environment where that happens. I had a conversation with my grandies. I don't know why they, they've been brainwashed this way. Um, she was trying to talk about how women were so subjugated and that they were enslaved and that, you know, basically that image of barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not true. I, I grew up in a generation where my, my my mother was a stay-at-home mom, but she had friends, she had a social life, she was able to go out and, you know, do things freely. She, it's not like she was chained to the house or to the kids, but like any parent, and you probably learned this as a parent, like any parent, you're still chained to your home as long as the kids are dependent. Right. And that's that's where, okay, well, in the economy of life, well, that became the woman because the woman was the nurturer. She was the one that bore them. She was the one that, so, you know, she was the one that would necessarily be there when they came home from school. She right. was the one that necessarily would be there to start preparing the meal. There was nothing wrong with any of that. It right. wasn't a terrible thing. And... Force of circumstance, and I get it. The force of circumstance would be that, well, because you you don't have a job outside the home, that this is the logic, well, then you can't leave your husband because you don't have the money. Right. The difference was back in the 50s and the 60s when I was growing up, there was no thought of divorce. We're having a hard time. We'll we'll get through this. We'll, we'll right. find a way. We'll work this out. You know, the, the very first thing that was thrown at Anybody back then was not the, the, the lawyers and the, the I'm going to get rid of you. Right. It was, we're going to figure that. That's why you, like today now, I love doing um, anniversary blessings. 50, 60. I've blessed somebody 70 years. Mm-hmm. It, and when you ask them, you know, like, how did you do it? It's like, well, we put up with a lot and we got through a lot and we did, you know. I always hear that. 
at every anniversary blessing. It's so funny you say that. Every one, because the, every priest asks, how did you stay together so long? It's, it's almost like it's in the rubrics or something that they have to ask that. But every priest asks that, and everybody answers almost exactly what you just said. It's unbelievable. And, and if you're willing to work it out, you can find a way through. If you're willing to just like say, you know what, I disagree with you. You're hurting me. I don't like the way you said that. I'm gone. Yeah. Well, all right, I'll put the toothpaste cap back on the tube. I, I get it. You know, it's like, I, I know a marriage that broke up over the toothpaste cap. I'm not kidding you. Well, you know, it had to be something more than that, and that was just the straw that broke the back. Of course. It, the the way I, whenever I do a little couples counseling, the way I, I, I say it is like, you know, it, that becomes bean counting. You're just throwing beans in yeah. a pot trying to fill up the pot. Yeah. What you're really saying is you disrespected me. Just come out and say it. Right. By not respecting what I asked of you, you disrespected me. And that's why it hurts so much. You disrespected me. That word, me, is very important. You didn't just respect something about me. You respected me, the deeper person. The person. Not just my preference, but something deeper than my preference is the person, my, you, my dignity or, or whatever. That's heavy. That's heavier than and it may, seems and may, on the And maybe some demands are unreasonable, but then talk about it. Right. Talk about it. Just just have a discussion. Right. And if at the end of the day you can't agree, then status quo until we can find a way to, to work our way through it. Yeah, yeah. Try to build try to build a bridge. Because men and women, another thing that makes men and women different is we, we really do think differently. You know, they say, you know, men are obsessed with things. Women are obsessed with people, right? Fulton Sheen said men are, are like the guardians of truth and women are the custodians of life, not just because they give birth, but because this is how they're ordered, Right. Their heart goes out if, if uh, the stem on a flower is broken kind of thing. And one of the ways that we think different is women think, I, th this is just the way I put it, women think broadly, men think deeply. Not that one is better than the other. They're, they're different and complementary. But we seem like, the way we think seems like buffoonery to women because they don't get it. The way women think seems like insanity and absurdity to us because it's not the way we think, you know? You'll, you'll get a woman, for instance, you'll get a woman who's like a, a gifted philosopher, right? They think deeply, right? And you'll get men who think more, I guess, laterally, you know? It happens, of course, but usually that's the fundamental differences between how men and women think, and this is why we sometimes miss in the middle. We don't connect in the middle because we're, we're, we're thinking differently and we're expecting the other person to think exactly how we think, and when they don't, we think that they're crazy or they're being difficult or whatever. I think there's been more... Um, breakdowns in our society because you think differently than I do, therefore we're incompatible. Right. No, we're just thinking differently. We're going to approach it from a different it does, way it, of getting to the does, same answer. It does make things difficult, though, boy. Let me tell you that, man. <laughs> you, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. <laughs> you the, are preaching to the choir. I tell you. The number, if you'd like to be a part of the show, is 888-546-4656. 888-546-4656. Holy Hannah, that is the easiest number to remember. In all of podcasting, if the phones don't get lit up, we're going to be bringing this show to a close in just a few minutes. I may be doing a solo post-show on Discordo. Drop the O at the end. I may be doing a solo post-show on Discord. If you are not um, joined up for my Discord server, hey, did you get the newsletter? Because I sent an invite link there. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. And um, that's going to be exclusive to the folks on Discord. And if you're catching this on demand and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm on his Discord, but I didn't know he was going to do a post-show uh, thing 
on Discord. Well, you're going to find a link to an audio recording there on Discord, so you'll still be able to get it. Uh, once again, if you want to be part of the show, 888-546-4656. So, Father, I say that gender is the power of the person. I tried to make this point, and then I got side-railed, in that once we started confusing the genders, okay, we started to disrupt the nuclear engine that drives or propels the person, the human person. Do you think there's truth to that, or am I just being... Because I think that there is, but I'm not you. I'm not the guy with the expertise. But I, I do feel like once we started confusing the genders, it's sort of like your the timing in your engine is off, so it's not running right, or it won't start up at all because it's it's way off, you know? You is know, there I any say truth it all to that? Can you speak to that a little bit? I, I, I say it all the time. There's only one thing that the devil is really actually very good at, and that's deception. Mm-hmm. To deceive, and part of deception has to have confusion in it, because if, you know, it's like it's like the magician, you know, they, they wave the one hand, you're watching the one hand, but it's the other hand that's doing everything. Right. Well, this whole thing with gender, like I say, if we're going to have any battle for salvation, it's going to be over the gender and the family issues, right. you know, that these different things. And he's got us paying attention to stuff that really are, in the grand scheme of things, irrelevant. Mm, like what? Well, like this whole thing of, you know, like, oh, there's a 10-year-old that wants to, you know, 10-year-old boy that wants to be a girl, therefore we have to give him the surgery. So we're paying attention and we're arguing about body parts and, mm -hmm. and all of this other stuff, and nobody's really talking about the poor boy right. and how to help the poor boy and to, to work with this boy and pray with this boy and speak to this boy and have a conversation about this boy to help him be the boy that he is. Right. So, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's smoke and mirrors now because now all of a sudden we're only just talking about, you know, um, how horrible this, like, you know, depending on which side of the argument, you know, how horrible this is and how terrible it is that they're mutilating children or on the other side of it, this is going to free this child and let them finally be what they thought that they are deep down inside and they're going to, and we're not talking about the real issue. Is this really what, first off, what God and God wants for his people? Mm -hmm. And second off, you know, like having the conversations, say, from the moral theology side of it. Why do, we, why do we think it's a good to damage something? So it's good to damage a body, to mm. take a functioning body part and remove it, or to take, you know, a body that wasn't meant to have a certain characteristic and make it have it. Right. You know, we're not having those conversations. We can't because, you know, you try to have that conversation in society today and all of a sudden you're a hater and you're canceled and we're yeah. going to, you know, like boycott your business or we're going to stand on the doors of your church and all this other stuff. So, Well, I think when you bring in objectivity and when you bring in a word like good, that's what's triggering to the masses. Um, I don't know what happened to the world but people it seems fell asleep they started dreaming and they're dreaming with as much lucidity as they can and they want everyone to support the dream that they've dreamed up um for let me give you an example the word entertainment is all over um modern language that never happened even in the 80s that that term was like rare it was growing. It was growing. It was growing. The Nintendo Entertainment System. It was growing. But now you hear home entertainment, entertainment, your entertainment budget. I mean, it's everywhere, right? What world did you grow up in where you think entertainment plays such a prominent role in your day-to-day -day life? We, <laughs> That's we, part we, of the dream. 
That's we had, part we of the had dream. A, we, we had a, a really intense discussion when I was in the seminary about leisure, which is kind of the same thing. Um, it used to be that we would work and work and work so that we could have leisure. Now right. we want to have leisure and get paid for it. Right. Right. I, somebody came up to me and said, you know, I want to be, be a video game tester. Hey, there's an aspiration in life. You just want to play video games all day and then tell somebody what's wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, I want to be a YouTube influencer. I want to be an influencer. <laughs> and you know what? There is some money for some of that. It's I know. Unfortunately. And I, I have to say, some of them, because my kids watch some of them, some of them really work hard. I, I must say, some of them work extraordinarily hard. They deserve what money they get. I mean, with, You work extraordinarily hard trying to make some of this work. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know how much I get paid for it? Forget it. It costs me money. That having been said, if you would like to support my apostolate, please sign up for my newsletter. You'll also, on my website, catholicadventurer.com, you'll find a link there that says subscribe. I do put up, there's there's some uh, subscriber-only podcasts on there. There's subscriber-only articles on there. It's not really about what you're getting in return, folks, if I'm being straight with you. Um, you're just helping to put food on my family's table. But I do throw you a couple of extra things um, to make it maybe not worth your while, but to maybe sweeten the deal for you. Anyway, that wasn't the point I was trying to make. Father, is there any last thing, last points you want to make, things you want to say before we bring this to a close? The one thing I want to say is let's keep the dialogue going. Let's keep talking, folks. Let's not demonize each other. Let's not try to turn conversations like these into hate or into anger or into hurt. Um, maybe I did say something that was a little too surly, or maybe I say something in a way that's just a little too crisp or sharp. I'm not perfect either. I, I do my best to try to stand strong in the truth, like my own podcast, The Credo, you know, bringing mm -hmm. Catholic truth into an age of relativism is hard, you know, and sometimes it's just it, it, that way. But do me a favor, all of you, if you hear these words right now, keep the conversation going. Just make it a conversation. Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be even an argument. Just make it a conversation. Hear the other person and then express, based on what they said, what you think should be changed or different. That, that's all. Right. And if, and if maybe you're, you're hearing something that changes you or makes you different, then go with it. That's all. Mm -hmm. Changes you or makes you different. That's the key to sainthood, is change, changing and being different. I mean, in the right direction. God gave us a power when he gave us a gender. He gave us something of himself. In his own image and likeness, he created us. So I'm going to say this last thing, and I will let you connect the dots and contemplate it on your own. We may think that we're good men or good women. We may think that we're capital G good, right? Tantamount to saints. Um, but we've got it all figured out and there's no forward momentum necessary. I will ask you, choose your favorite saint. How much of that saint are you like? How closely do you resemble them? How closely do you resemble Jesus? Now, that's a whole nother level, right? But how closely do you resemble your favorite saint? If it's not close at all, you've got a lot of work to do, man. You've got a lot of work to do. Father, if there is one saint that you think, boy, I wish I could be like that saint, serious question, who would that be? I know, don't say, that, oh, there's going to be so many of them. Of course there are, but if you had to choose one. If I had to choose one these days, um, I've really been fascinated with Padre Pio. Yeah. Having been to San Giovanni Rotondo, I had a whole new appreciation for him. Um, he's one of those saints that spoke bluntly. He, he was kind of surly at times, 
but he had that gift. He had that one gift that um, I would be afraid to have, and that was to be able to read souls. Mm. Um, it was incredible. So I, I would go these days, and it might be a passing phase right now because I could be moving on to another one in, in a couple of months, but um, he's been my go-to saint of late. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I don't, and this is no offense to Padre Pio, who I occasionally invoke, but if God told me, you say the word right now, and I will make you just like one saint, pick. You know mine would be? St. Anthony of the Desert. St. Anthony of the Desert. I can see that. But the thing is, if I think critically about this, why am I so into this saint? If I had to intellectualize it, I'd be like, you know what? I don't know. (laughs) There are things that I can pick out that I love that about him. I love that about him. But I don't understand my fanaticism about him. You know, there's a mystery to it, even to myself. That's how I feel about Padre Pio. Like, I don't understand people's fanaticism. I'll put that in quotes, fanaticism for him. But that's part of the experience of the communion of saints is sometimes the spirit draws you to a saint and your intellect cannot say why it's something that your instinct knows that you can't give voice to you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and i i think he is a misunderstood saint and he certainly has some cultists that push him more than than yes uh, normal yes yes but he he's contemporary he didn't die all that long ago he yeah. He, he had that sanctity cool. about him yeah. that he could stay in the confessional for hours on end, et cetera, et cetera. Which is why he always looked so unhappy. He had a very powerful <laughs> relationship with St. Michael, too. Did he? The Archangel. There's a shrine right next to San Giovanni Rotondo where St. Michael the Archangel appeared. Oh, wow. So. Oh, wow. I don't think I knew that part about him. Mm. I, yeah, I know people with such a strong um, devotion to Padre Pio, some of them a little crazy. I mean, not not many of them. Most most of them are just a normal, you know, good and healthy relationship with Padre Pio. I think it's very cool. All right. Last chance if you have anything to say, Father. I'm good. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this has been the Catholic Experience. Are you a little bit more experienced now? I sure hope that you are. I've been your friendly neighborhood host, the Catholic Adventurer. Say goodbye, Father. Have a good one. God bless. Find me on Facebook. Twitter slash X at For the Queen BVM and visit my website at CatholicAdventurer.com. Don't forget to throw that ER in there. It's not Catholic Adventure, it's Catholic Adventurer. Sign up for my newsletter if you don't want to go to hell. God bless you. God be with you all. <laughs> Someone's going to write a bishop. I can tell. I can hear it already. Someone's going to write a bishop. God bless you. God be with you all. Bye bye. <laughs>